Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We're so happy you're here. This Sunday, we were blessed by the ministry of Brother Tim Pedigo as he preached, I was built for this. Get behind something bigger than yourself. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Psalm 107. I love reading and studying about David. Well, here we go, the list. Joseph, Abraham, Moses, Paul. But David's a special character in my life, my ministry. I love to read David. David 107, apart, Psalm 107. We'll start in David. Well, I guess it's David, you know. Psalm 107, we'll start in verse 24. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again into the depths, and their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I know it don't make sense, but I'm hoping it'll make sense when we get through with this. You were built for this. I was built for this. Again, turn to your neighbor and say, you were built for this. You can be seated. The psalmist paints a picture here of the highs and the lows of life. He compares it, of course, he's using an analogy and the illusion of the sea, the stormy sea. David would never have written the psalms, you know, if he hadn't seen some waves and some tumultuous times. And isn't it amazing when you read, if you could start and read through not only him but Asaph and different ones that wrote the Psalms, as you read through how it is a perfect picture of life. It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. But there's good news in all of that because that just means that bad times don't stay. Good times come back. You may be in a lull right now, but a, a better time is coming. A friend of mine, Mark Lowry, you've probably heard of him. He's a little crazy. Christian comedian, he said something that stuck with me. He said, aren't you glad that they didn't have Prozac back in the Bible days? Because if they'd had Prozac, we'd have never had the Psalms. David would have just been, oh. No, you've got to have some things happening in your life. Life is not static. Life has issues. Life has troubles and trials. But it's okay. They're temporary. We get through them. You get to the 23rd Psalm, and again, 
uh, I heard a man point out one time, he said, you know, we get to that whole part, we read down there, he said, uh, he restores my soul in the valley. Valley, he restores my soul. We hate the valley. But read the rest of it. In the valley, he restoreth my soul. What would we do without the valley? What would we do without the low time? Because that's when God steps in and starts churning the soil up and making something useful out of it and something that can grow fruit. Oh, I want to stay on the mountain. It's lonely on the mountain. And there's no trees on the mountain. The trees stopped growing about, you know, 8,000 feet. You want to go to the top? There's nothing up there. You want to stay down in that valley because that's where the Lord comes in and starts watering and nurturing. Don't be afraid of the valley. It's okay. It's a good thing. I believe David had a fire in his bones. But the thing that made it work is I think he had tears in his eyes. Zeal, zealousness is wonderful, but if it's not backed up with a passion and a pure heart, it can turn bad real quick. His experiences led him to believe, I was built for this. I was built for this. 23 times Saul tried to take David's life, either personally or had his henchman, tried his own father-in-law. Tried to take his life 23 times. But not one time did David ever turn on God's man, the king. Not one time. Yes, he left the country because he was run out of the country. He even fought with the Philistines. Anybody know that? David fought with the Philistines. But when they said, we're going against Israel and King Saul, he said, I'm out, boys. I will not touch God's anointed. What did David do? He simply said, it's a bad time in my life. I've already been anointed king. I should be on that throne. I've already been anointed, and I'm still out here doing this. But I will not do that which is uncomely before the sight of the Lord. I'm going to stay right here in this valley wherever I'm in. And when God chooses, he's going to flip that thing around. But it takes something on our part. It takes something on our part. I was teaching at the college at IBC, uh, I, was, I was at the church was my job, but I taught a couple of days a week, so I was over at the college, and uh, I got in my car one day, and I don't know why it caught my eye, but I, as I was backing out of my space, I looked over, and there was a praying mantis stuck on the window. I mean, that dude was about that long, green as green could be, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I was kind of like, what are you doing? And he looked at me like, where are we going? And I was like, okay, you want some of this, buddy? All right. So I backed out, and I'm driving a little faster. Got up to 15. He's just looking at me. Got up to 30, 35. Really, dude? Pulled out on National, got out on Keystone, and I'm looking at the interstate, and I was like, yeah, dude. Give me that dude stuff. So I got the green light and I turned on the entrance ramp and I dropped the hammer, man. I was going to shake that dude. Now I had my phone out videoing it. I wish I could have found it and showed you because this is literally the truth. I was videoing the praying menace because I wanted to capture the moment when I could go, yeah, see. 
And so I'm driving, I'm up to 50, 55, 60, and I'm going like, ease up, buddy, ease up. This is a bad place for cops right here. Yeah, but yeah, 65, and I'm going there. And I looked over later at the video, I looked over, and the praying man just does this. And faces into the wind. You have got to be kidding me. That dude hung up 70. I don't care if I get a ticket, 75. And I got to the prospect exit and knew that I had to slow down. So I slowed down and I got to the stop sign. I drove on into the church. And when I pulled into my space there at the church, he looked at me to say, you're so sad, and just flew off. <laughs> you know what he knew that I didn't know? Is that those stickies on his hands were pretty good. And he was lean and tall and green and mean. He could have been the mascot for University of North Texas, the mean green up there. What he knew was, I'm thin, aerodynamic. Go ahead, dude. What are you going to do? I'll just turn sideways. The wind won't even find me. I was built for this. But then he did something else. He inched up right behind my rearview mirror and shrouded behind something bigger. Friend, let me tell you something. The best you can do is say, claim it. I'm built for this, but I also know I can't do it by myself. I got to get behind something that's bigger. Do not think you can do this on your own. It don't matter how aerodynamic you think you are. It doesn't matter how much talent you've got. Your talent is on loan from God. And he can take it back at any moment. You've got to say, God... I was built for this because you put your spirit within me. And I am built for this, but I will not do it alone. I'm behind you, God. I'm behind you, God. We've taken tour groups overseas for years. There's some advertisements out there. This is not a big commercial other than we do tours. We go to Israel and Jordan and all that. And if you have interest in that, we've got brochures out there. But I was, I was talking about this with our guide, Hezi, who's a brilliant man. He's got several master's degrees in archaeological, biblical archaeology and biblical history and all that business. And I don't know, maybe some of you have been in uh, Israel before and been to the Sea of Galilee. I, I have to tell you, I was a bit shocked. Since I did grow up around here, mom and dad had a little cabin down on Cedar Creek Lake. By the way, I'm glad to have my sister and brother-in-law here today. Martha and Jack Langham. I would probably not be nearly invested in music as I am today without her because she pretty much grabbed my ear and twisted it and said, you're singing a trio with me when I was just a young teenage boy, and that's what got it all started. So it's her fault. Uh, you know, and the great thing about in-laws is we drove in from out of town, and I left my shoes, so I'm wearing Jack's shoes. So it's all good. It's all good. Uh, I got to asking Hezzy about this whole deal of Sea of Galilee. Because now, we would go down to Cedar Creek Lake. How many has been to Cedar Creek Lake? 
Yeah, you know, it's 23 miles long. And at the widest parts, what, maybe five, six miles, something like that? When you get to the Sea of Galilee, it's only 16 miles long and four miles wide. And I'm sitting here on this boat in the middle of the sea going, mm, it's a nice pond. Come to Texas. We got some lakes. And they call it a sea. So I asked Hezzy. Now, Hezzy, in this scripture, when it's talking about the tumultuous seas and the disciples and Jesus, you got to help me understand that I'm not a physicist or a geologist or whatever it would be to understand all of this, a marine biologist. I, but I'm looking at this little body. He said, oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you. You see, and he's pointed out over there on Gattery, over there where the mountains crevice, they come down like that. And I look up here on the north end by Capernaum. You see how they come down? He said they can come out of the east and they can come out of the north. They can come from any direction. He said, and these little uh, twisters, they form and they come up so fast and they top over that hill and they slam into one side of the Sea of Galilee and it will cause waves six, seven, eight feet in this little lake right here. Now, you got to go back and imagine what these boys were riding in. The Jesus boat, which is about 15 feet long with one sail and a rudder, probably no paddles. So you could see why they were upset. They, they were a little upset. So let's go back to our, our text. Verse 25, for he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifted the waves thereof. Commanding just means he says. He speaks a word and it's done. Isn't that great about our Savior? He doesn't have to go through any incantations. He doesn't have to get a book out, make up some pot or something, stir anything. He simply says, hey, come. Powerful thing. Powerful thing. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths, and the soul is melted because of trouble. Just means that all they lose their vigor. They lose all the bravado they walk around with. You know, you roll your shoulders back, thump your chest out, and think you got this. And all of a sudden, this sea starts raging, and it's a little scary when you're in a little 15 foot boat. They lose their vigor and they grow faint of heart. They reel to and fro and they stagger like a drunken man at their wit's end. And the wit's end simply in Hebrew means all their wisdom is swallowed up. All their wisdom is swallowed up because they don't know what to do. They don't know what caused it, where it came from, or what to do next. They're hanging on for dear life. And then he makes the storm calm. Storms, tempests, fires, disease, dangers cause people to do what they should do in the first place cry out why didn't they cry out in the first place they thought they could handle it then they realized they couldn't and then they go wake the master why didn't they do that in the beginning he makes the storm to calm now I don't know about you but for me this just proves that he was divine anybody that questions his divinity just needs to read through these passages because you name me one other person name me one other entity that can step out on the balcony of nothing and say let there be and that same power could step out on the bow of a ship and say, calm down, boys. It's going to be okay. No, you want to talk about divinity? Divinity was walking among them that day. But I got good news for you. He didn't stop walking on the shores of Galilee or through Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Capernaum. He's walking here today with the same power, the same power, the same majesty. He's dishing out the same grace, the same mercy. What they felt in that boat when the Savior stood up is what you're feeling right now. Matthew 8, 
24 says it this way. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. No better proof of his divinity than that right there. Simply stood up and said, Done. Over. This is not a negotiation. And it finishes, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness for his wonderful works to the children of men. It's interesting, I find, in Scripture. This is the fourth time in this chapter the psalmist reminds us, oh, that men would praise the Lord. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Oh, that men would praise him. And all he's really talking about there is reminding ourselves of who we are and who he is and the fact that we should look in the mirror and say, you were built for this. If you have his spirit flowing through your veins today, you were built for this. I, uh, uh, I, I'm a little crazy sometimes around the edges. I like to do crazy stuff. Um, Years ago when conference was in Arizona, Phoenix, I had an afternoon where I had nothing to do. And so I took the rental car and I drove up to Sedona. Sedona has all the great vortexes. I had heard about the vortexes. And uh, I understood a little bit about thermal lifts because when I was here going to college at University of North Texas, I would come back and in the summers I would work out here in Las Colinas. I was the head engineer on some of those high-rise buildings out there as a commercial engineer and had crews and we built those, some of those high-rise buildings out there. So I understood a little bit about thermal lift because this, <clears throat> if you are eight, 10 stories up and you just look off the edge of the building, the thermal air whew, hits that building, goes straight up, you'll knock your hat off. In fact, there are men who would sit and eat their lunch with their feet dangling off the edge. When the wind blew up, it would pull them toward the edge. That's why they have those cables around there. So I understood a little bit about the thermal dynamics of it. I'm not, I'm not a physicist, like I said, but I understood a little bit. So I went out to Sedona, and I decided to climb some of these vortexes. There's about seven or eight of them out there. The most prominent one is probably Cathedral Rock because it's beautiful. It comes straight up out of the desert floor and has these two spires that go up, and it's got a bridge between them. And I had heard about the vortexes because there is so much mysticism about it. If you get to the vortex, the, the, the mysticism of the healing air in a vortex will bring healing to your body. And I always thought it was probably an old wives' tale or it's just something somebody was making up. But as I found out when I got there, and you have to park a good ways off and kind of walk through some terrain, some creek beds and everything, until you get there and climb. It wasn't a big climb, maybe five, 600 feet up to the bridge. And so I went on the path, but here's what broke my heart. While I'm climbing on that path, I see... Moms bringing children and dragging them up and are obviously uh, got issues. And I see wives helping older men up here because if I can just get to the vortex, if I can just get to the vortex, healing is going to come. Mysticism. If I can just get there. And I just wanted to scream off the side of that mountain. There is nothing about a vortex that has power of healing. I got up to the top. And uh, I noticed there was a college group over here, and their professor was talking about all of this. And I looked over here, and there was another cluster of people over there. And uh, I, I kept walking across the land bridge there and trying to figure out, what is it? What is it? 
And there was one tree, I don't know, one tree right in the middle. It's about that big around. It's pretty sturdy. And all of a sudden, people started getting up and gathering stuff and starting to run. And I was like, well, what's going on? And I look out across the valley floor in Sedona. They have more lightning strikes in the valley of Sedona than anywhere else in the country because of the iron ore in the soil. And so when those thunderheads move in, I mean, it was, I got to tell you, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. The light show. Wow. Thunder, lightning just striking everywhere. Told you I'm a little crazy. So I was curious and I wanted to know. Inquiring minds want to know. And so I went back to that tree. And as it came closer and closer, I thought, okay, I know from here to there where I start down is about, okay, it'll take me. I'll wait till the very last minute and I will. I was calculating. I was working it out in my mind. And I stood there and all of a sudden, the thunderhead starts really rolling in. And then it happened. Here came the wind. And it was pushing, pushing. And I was trying to go into the wind. I couldn't. So I looked around, found that tree, and I backed up against the tree and just let it come. And it was one of the most terrifying moments, but one of the most beautiful moments I've ever had. That rain pulled in. I mean, it was pummeling, just raining, and the wind. But here's what I found out. You know what the mystery of a vortex is? Nothing. It's called thermal lift. It's just like me standing on the side of that building, and the air has to go somewhere, so it goes up. That's what a vortex is. But here's the tragedy. All of these people thinking that if they get there, there's healing in that. They have been led into a lie and all that business. And I just wanted to scream from the bridge of the Cathedral Rock, what you need is to touch Jesus. What you need is to get in touch with the master. You don't need a vortex. You don't need any mysticism. Somebody call on the name of Jesus. Why don't you get behind something bigger than yourself? It's not about mysticism. Call on the name of Jesus right then, right there. Probably if I had the nerve, I could have walked over to any one of those people and laid hands on them. God, touch them right now. Don't make them climb up this hill for nothing. Touch them right now. And who knows what would have happened. I think about that. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? Oh, thermal lifts, what people do. Wind's not a bad thing. Sometimes we're afraid of it. It has little properties. Airplanes wouldn't fly without wind. They take off into the wind because of the thermal lift. Hawks, all these beautiful hawks around, they find a thermal lift that will carry them up 500 feet, 1,000 feet. And and God gave them such a, a sight and vision that they can look down and see their prey on the ground. They can go into a death spiral down there and snatch that thing up. But they use the wind. They're not afraid of it. Why? They're, they're just floating around saying, I was built for this. I was built for this. I was built for this. I used the wind to my advantage. I was built for this. I was out with Brother Pew, out in, and he wanted us to go out in the country with him. We were in, I made the comment. I said, man, this is really going to tell on me here. So for all you hunters, get ready. I've never been hunting in my life. I, know, I do know which end of the rifle to hold, but that's all. So he's taking me out here, and he's saying all this stuff, and I'm just, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a clue. And, but I made the statement. I said, man, look at all those hawks. Aren't they just beautiful? They got that wingspan out there, and they got those little fingers and all that. And, and he let me go for a while. And finally, he's, uh, <clears throat> uh, Brother Tim, 
I'm going to help you out. Uh, those are not hogs. Those are vultures. <laughs> well, even the vultures aren't afraid of the wind because they use the same thermal lift. They were built for that too. <laughs> oh, my God. The nature of a child is to be afraid. The nature of a child is to cry out and run from thunder and lightning, generally run and jump in the bed with mom and dad. But the problem is that we think we outgrow it. And there's even some scripture that points us in that way. Ephesians 4 and 14 says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And I believe that's true. We need to grow up and get off the milk. We need to grow up and be real adult Christians and do the right thing. That does not mean that we are forgetting the instincts of a child because a child's instinct is immediately to cry out for his father. What did I say about the praying mantis? You were built for it, but get behind something bigger. Isaiah 50 and 7 says, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. If God called you to anything the Lord will help me, therefore I have set my face like a flint, he said. The Lord will help me, therefore I have set my face like a flint. I was built for this. Whatever's coming. It doesn't matter what Monday brings. I was built for this. Come on, young people. It doesn't matter what you face at school. It doesn't matter what you face on your job. You were built for this. God will go before you. He will sustain you in your journey. Come on, get behind something bigger. Don't try to do this on your own. Get a prayer life. Find a prayer room. Get in the altar. Cry out to God. Don't outgrow that. We cannot outgrow that. We need to learn from the praying menace. We need to learn to face into the wind to do it like it's supposed to be done. We were built for this. And then get behind something bigger. Psalmist also said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter and will continue to be a shelter. Another thing the psalmist said that I love is some trust in chariots and horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You can trust in these things of this world, but they're only going to get you far without something bigger. And it doesn't matter. We've had several funerals lately. Brother Tommy Kraft, one of our patriarchs in the movement, had just passed away. Losing those people is not an easy thing because those are the covering for many of us. But here's the thing. That's life. And so now you've got to find something else bigger. Why don't we get behind the biggest thing there is? And let the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost carry us and sustain us. We were in uh, Yellowstone some time back. And uh, we had looked all over for the buffalo. We did see a lot of stuff. We saw the geothermal pools, which those are frighteningly beautiful as well. We went to Old Faithful, and that was beautiful in its own way, <clears throat> until the little lady sitting next to my wife decided to explain things to us. 
we're sitting on the bench and, you know, it's not exact. I mean, Old Faithful is faithful. It's going to blow, but within a 45-minute span or something like that. So they have all these benches. It's a beautiful area. And we're sitting there, and, and it's a nice young couple. They were, we were talking. And she must have studied geology or something because we were saying, oh, isn't this beautiful? Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, look at that. That one is sprouting up over there. Oh, that's got a little river running. Oh, isn't that cool? And she said, yeah, 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 this is beautiful. And to think we're sitting on a 700-million-year-old volcano. I grabbed my wife's hand as she was about to flee in terror. I said, a volcano? She said, oh, yeah, this is, this is one of the biggest volcanoes in North America right here, Yellowstone Park. It could blow any time. <laughs> what happened to that 750 million years? That came around really quick. Anyway, we calmed down. <clears throat> Searched for the buffaloes. Finally, I, I kept asking people where they are. Finally, one lady, she said, Okay, you're going to have to go up to the northeast part of the park. It's in Lamar Valley. That's where the herd generally hangs out, and you can go see them there. And so we made our way to Lamar Valley to see the buffalo. Uh, while we were in the little store there, I came across a book, Steve Ranella, American Buffalo in Search of a Lost Icon. <clears throat> it's an interesting juxtaposition between the buffalo and the bovine, his cousin, the cow. They, uh, the, the bison is free to roam. It's... it's it, that's its mentality because the bison says, I was built for this. While the cow is domesticated and needs shelter and somebody to bring it hay and water has got to be taken care of. And, you know, uh, it's an amazing thing. Most of the fascinating characteristic of the bison is how they react in a storm. Now, the cow will simply whoever the lead cow with the bell is will simply moo and the bell starts clanking and they all head for the barn. There's a problem with that though. When they head for the barn, they move rather slow, which allows the storm to catch up with them and just pummel them all the way back to the barn. That storm is just pounding them and they move slow. And by the time they get back, they're weathered and beaten and all of that. Unlike the bison. Nature and those who study the bison say this. When the thunderhead moves in and the storm moves in, the bison raise their head, roll their shoulders back at the were, and turn toward the storm and say, I'm going through it. Now here's why. Because going through the storm shortens the effect of the storm. They rarely get beaten up because they're determined to plow through it. And every step they're saying, I was made for this. I was made for this. I was made for this. Come on, apostolic. Are you going to be the bovine and run from it? Or are you going to be the bison and say, I was made for this? I was made for this. There's not enough devils in hell that can turn me away from my mission. There's not enough disappointment that can turn me away from the goodness and grace of Almighty God. There's not enough power in the spirits of the air that can drive me away from Jesus Christ because I know as long as I'm sheltered in his hand, nothing can touch me. I was made for this. I was made for this. The worship team can come back. 
I'm almost done. Rather than waiting on the storm and running away from it, the bison says, I was made for this, and I'll just take the short route. I want to tell somebody today, look, in, in a crowd this size, I know we had a great worship service today, very positive, very powerful, and the power of God was here, no doubt. But I'm not so silly. I've been around long enough to know somebody walked in with something they didn't need to walk in with today. You don't need to leave with it either. We all have troubles and trials, and we all have moments in our life when the job fails or sickness comes or something happens. And I would, I would go out on a limb and say, some of you are here today. Now, it's up to you whether or not you respond to anything I've said or has happened in this service today. Totally up to you. Because I'm not a high-pressure guy, and I'm not going to put any pressure on you today. But I am going to say this. The bison turns and heads into the storm of his own free will. They're not programmed that way. It's not like they have no other choice. They could turn and run, but they choose to head through the storm. And I don't know, maybe you're wondering right now, am I going to run from this or head right through it? So if you're going to head right through it, there's two or three things you need to know. Number one, you've got to get past pride. You've got to not care who else is in the building. If you have a genuine need today, you need to say, hey, I'm throwing everything else off. I'm getting to an altar where I can get in touch with Jesus Christ. You need to stop worrying about some little petty hurt from 20 years ago. Well, I'd go to the altar and I'd get things. But you know what? He said to me, she said to me, and it really hurt me. You need to get past all that junk. I'm talking about we're closing up here, folks. Time is running out. We don't have time to play with God. You need to get your answer. You need to get it now. Don't worry about some hurt from 20 years ago. That's in history. That's way back there. Nobody cares about it. What you need is a touch from the Savior. The other thing you need to know is this. Well, you don't know where I've been. And you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of life I live. You just don't know. If I walk down there, well, I, uh, let me just tell you this. As a kid, right over here in Irving, Texas, Charlie Mahaney would come and preach for us revivals a couple times a year. Charles Mahaney, for those of you that don't know, was he's passed on now, but he was an evangelist who, who was in the Tennessee Penitentiary because he was one of the original Hell's Angels. They would come into cities and burn places down and beat people up and do everything, but maybe even kill them, and maybe some of that too. But he would come and preach revivals, and he would say... Well, you know, he had a real gruff voice. Yeah, we used to drive in town on our holidays. We'd come in and we'd burn down this and we'd burn down blah, 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 blah. And I would sit here as a young person right up there in front of the pulpit. And the whole time he was about his testimony. The whole time he was giving his testimony, I would say, God, I gotta get me a testimony. I mean, just think how this works for him. This guy has all these great testimonies of the things he's done. I got to get me a testimony. He'd come back and preach, and I would say the same thing. And one day I was really praying, saying, God, I really need a testimony. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody too bad. I don't, I, I don't really want to, like, rob a bank or anything. What could I do that's just kind of semi-bad that would make me look good where I could get a testimony? I need me a testimony. Can I tell you that when I uttered that, God spoke to me and he said, oh, you silly little boy. 
Your testimony is far greater than Charles Mahaney's because anybody can be a hell's angel. Anybody can burn buildings down. Anybody can beat people up. He said, but I spared you from all of that. I kept you from all of that. Let me just say this. But just because God kept me from all of that did not save my soul. I was still just as lost as Charles Mahaney was. And I still had to get over my own stinking pride of being a church brat that grew up under the pew. I had to humble myself down and get past pride and past hurts and and make my way to an altar where God could transform my life. Paul said this. I'm almost done. Paul said this. He was on his way to Rome. They were going to kill him. He said, wait, 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 wait. You can't do this. I'm a Roman citizen. You've got to take me to Rome. So they said, okay, we'll send you to Rome. He gets on a boat. He makes two or three stops, Crete, different places. And they, they get to the island of the sea. And they get back on the boat. And he tells the centurion, this is a bad idea. I'm just telling you, it's a bad idea. A storm's coming up. This is a winter storm, and this is not going to be good. And the centurion says, you don't know what you're talking about. We're captain this ship. You just get in the boat. So they go. And sure enough, the storm comes up. The Eurocleathon, whatever that is, big storm. And all of a sudden, they realize they're in too deep. And Paul stands up, and he says, well, you can throw everything off you want to throw off, but that's not going to fix it. So they threw the anchors off. And took the sails down and let the currents carry them. And finally the ship starts breaking up. And Paul stood up in the middle of the boat and said, It's okay. I was built for this. You don't think I was built for this? In my labors more than abundant. In stripes and measures. In prisons more frequent. In deaths off three times beaten with rods. Stoned once. Five times received 40 lashes. Three times shipwrecked. And on and on. I was built for this. But it's better than that, boys, because tonight the angel of the Lord stood next to me and said, not a soul's going to be lost. That's the kind of thing you need to get behind. That's the thing you need to get behind. Yeah, I was built for this, but I also have to have my hand in the hand of Almighty God. He was simply showing them A simple truth. Now get this, get this, get this. Paul was trying to say them in so many words. Boys, I got on this boat to go to Rome. This ain't Rome. It's going to be okay. I've got to tell somebody today. There's a high calling on each and every one of us. And God's got his hand on our lives. But we're not in heaven yet. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Face into the wind, look in the mirror, say, I was built for this because I'm God's kid. Now, that's it. Real simple. We're going to sing a song. I'll open up the altars. But what I'm asking you to do is think in your mind right now, what's the greatest challenge you have? And what is the thing that that just warrants you the most? I wonder if anybody's got the brass to say, yeah, but I was built for this. I'm blood bought. Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. He went down for me. I've been filled with his spirit. And if you haven't been filled with his spirit today, you need to be because it is the power unto salvation. It's what gives us strength. 
Acts 1 and 8 says, and ye shall have power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You want to talk about that, that old nasty past? It also says, you read it earlier. The young man read it earlier. You must be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin. That means they're gone like they never were. I wonder if you've got the brass to walk up and say, God, I was built for this and I'm on your team. And I'm putting this at your feet today. It's beyond me. I didn't create this journey. I didn't create this life. My life is in your hands. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to stay connected with the church and podcast, you can visit us at calvaryulis.org or on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Calvary Pentecostal Church. God bless.